Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Our friend Jesse Johnson is going to come and preach today. Jesse, come up here. Yeah, woohoo is, you know. As I've mentioned before, woohoo is redneck for amen, so that's what that meant, okay? And um, for those of you who don't know Jesse, let me make just a brief introduction. Jesse grew up here in this church. And um, when you think about this church's missionary efforts, when, when you contribute money to help um, some missionary around the world, it's either Jesse or somebody's Jesse, some other church's Jesse who goes. Somebody who was raised to be a follower of Jesus and somewhere along the way decided that she would go along with that. Jesse is a, a person who... Um, far as I can tell, has wholly surrendered her life to the control of God. She's wrote him this big blank check. He gets to fill in as many zeros and cash it in any bank in this world, and she'll go there. She's proven that to us time and time again. Uh, Jesse, we've spoken with you by Skype from Russia. Look how big you're, I mean, see that screen? It's 16 feet by 9 feet. Your face was that big. Okay, Two of you. It was awesome. It was awesome. And um, um, we tuned in from time to time for two reasons. We wanted to hear what was happening ministry-wise. And secondly, because we love you. So understand that all these people here are people who love you. But we're, we're not here primarily, you're not here primarily to, to report on a mission trip, are you? No. Jesse's here to preach today. And preaching means you're going to talk about the scriptures and call for a decision. Understand that Jesse's going somewhere today. And she's asking us to go along with her. And there's going to come a point at the end where either you really get on board the train or you don't. Listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit as Jesse speaks. Let's pray for her. Lord, you've got your girl here right in front of you and in front of us. When I got here early this morning, she was already in this sanctuary preparing her heart and her mind for this sacred task that she sets her hand to now. Just as you took care of her in Russia, just as you paved the the road before her there, just as you filled her with your Holy Spirit and came upon her in power when she needed that, We ask you to do the same for her today. But we would also ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us today. We need our hearts softened. We need the distractions to be pushed aside. And we need to be able to hear clearly and without confusion what you ask of us today. Holy Spirit, get what you want out of this service and out of this woman for the glory of the Father, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hello. <laughs> um, so, as you said, I'm Jesse, and I grew up here, and I just got home. They need to be closer to me. Okay. Um, I just got home from a, uh, a year in Moscow, Russia, and I am so excited to get to share with you what God is doing there, because it is pretty big, <laughs> um, and what he did in me while I was over there. Um, 
like I said, I grew up here in this church, and I knew who Jesus was my whole life, and I, I believed in him. I believed he was good, but I, there was never a point until college where I said, like, I'm in. You can do with me what you want. Um, in my freshman year of college, I made that decision to follow Christ and said, like, I'm in 100%. Where do you want me to go? Um, and it, as God started changing my life in college, he started teaching, he started breaking my heart for people who didn't know him. Um, and some of my friends started sharing with me about the Great Commission, which is in Matthew, at the very end of Matthew. And it's at the end of Jesus' life, and he, is, he already died on the cross, and he raised again, and he had spent a bunch of time with his best friends, and he is about to ascend back to heaven. And Jesus says, Go and make disciples of every tribe, nation, and tongue, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And now I'm going to go with you wherever you go to the very end of the age. And I think that is like the coolest command in the world <laughs> because not only, like, he was the, is it the last words he got to say to his friends? And these are the words he chose. Like, people who are on their deathbed, they don't just talk about the weather, they talk about the most important things to them. And Jesus said, like, I taught you everything I knew about my father. Now just go tell everybody you know. And because those 12 men took that command seriously, like, you and I had the deci- got to make the decision to follow Christ. Because they s- listened to the command to go, we have the choice to get on an airplane or tell our friends about Jesus. And I think that is a reason why I made a decision to get on a plane, was because I wanted to give another person the chance to s- to say yes to living a life of hope and of um, joy. Um, and hold on. <laughs> um, at the end of my senior year in college, I went to this conference with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, and it was over New Year's, and this woman got on stage, and she talked about all of these locations in the world that Crew in the Northwest had partnered with. Crew is Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, and they started showing about Costa Rica and Australia, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going overseas. <laughs> and then they started sharing about places in the Middle East, and I kind of interested, like, I like adventure. And then she started sharing about Russia, and I kind of said, heck no. <laughs> That's cold. (laughs) Um, But she started sharing why Russia, and she shared with me, and I love stats. I think statistics speak pretty clearly to me, but she said there's 1.2 million college students in just Moscow, not all of Russia, but just one city. There's 1.2 million college students. There's over 120 college campuses in that one city, And of all of those college students, there is less than 1% who know Jesus. Just less than 1%. Like, that is really small. Um, And then a year later, I started hearing more information as I was preparing and considering going. I heard that, like, there's a lot of places in the world where me as an American probably won't be that accepted if I tried to share the gospel. Like, a lot of places, and every place that I can't go well, I, safely, Russians are welcomed with open arms. Russians' two biggest vacation spots are Egypt and Turkey. We don't go there on vacation. <laughs> um, and 
Like, that is cool. Like, Russia will reach the world, and they also have to be reached with the gospel, but they're going to be part of bringing the gospel to the parts of the world we don't, we can't go to. And that is awesome. Like, that is motivating to me. Like, I want to get on an airplane. <laughs> um, and so I just want to share with you about what that year was like. And I thought, first of all, I had this, like, really corny video I want to share with you that me and my friends made while we were there. We made it to promote, it's called Stint. Stint is like the year I spent overseas. We made it to promote Stint to other college students who are make, trying to make this decision too. And it's really corny, I'm sorry, but it's pretty fun. And you get to see Moscow, so take a look. <laughs> Pretty corny. Um, yeah, that's like a cheesy picture of my friend Taylor. But um, yeah, it was just super fun. And there's like kind of cool pictures of different parts of Moscow that we spent most of our time in. Um, but I just wanted to also take a quick second to say thank you to you guys. My stint year, it wasn't a free year. It was a lot of money. Um, and most of my support came from you guys in this church. And I just want to say thank you because, um, like, the gospel went forward in Moscow. It went forward a lot in Moscow because you guys trusted the Lord with your prayers and your finances and investing it in, in me. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, I think of it, there's like two kind of, two kinds of people we invested in. And one of them was kind of like seeds, like, we shared the gospel with over 500 people in the course of nine months. And those are kind of like little seeds you stick in a styrofoam cup. And you take care of it really carefully, and you water it, and you put it on your windowsill, and you just are very careful. And then also, you invested in like tractors <laughs> and combines that are going to continue multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And... I think that is a worthwhile cause, and I'm just so thankful. And so I just wanted you guys to know that you were well appreciated, and I'm very thankful for you. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit of what Moscow looked like, and so or what my experience was. So in Moscow, there was 13 short-term missionaries, or like fresh out of college students. Um, there was two teams. So there was six people from the Northwest, and six people from like the Texas and Oklahoma region, and they made up this team. Um, and then there's about 11 long-term staff or national staff who live in Moscow, long-term. Um, and so these stinters were separated on two college campuses. They're separated on one that was a teaching university, and one of them was called People's Friendship University of Russia, which is where I was. Um, and our job, what we were asked to do, was to launch a student-led movement on these college campuses. So our job was to go share our faith with everybody we laid eyes on, and then find believers on the college campus, group them together, and help them to launch a movement where they are out multiplying their own faith, and they are continuing to grow without us. But the goal of it is to have staff leave and students continue multiplying their faith while you disciple them from a distance. Um, and so we were on People's Friendship University of Russia, which is probably like the coolest place on the planet. It was awesome. Um, the People's Friendship University is also shortened to Rudan, which probably makes no sense to you, but in Russian, it makes a lot more sense. Um, it has 26,000 college students, 
and they come from about 150 countries. It is the most diverse university in the entire world, which is pretty sweet. It broke its own record last year for the most nations on one campus, um, which means that I got to have friends from literally all over the world. My best friends were from Burundi, Africa, Jamaica, um, Bethlehem, Omen, Uzbekistan, Iran, like you name it. We had a friend from there. It was so fun. <laughs> Um, and from what we know, 10 years ago, there was a staff team who tried to launch a ministry there. But it was like, it's pretty hard soil because most of them don't speak Russian or English, and it's kind of messy. Um, and so they left about 10 years ago. And from what we know, there has really been no other Christian group at Rudan since then. And so we were the first team of people who went back to Rudan and tried it again. Um, and so I wanted to introduce you to some of my friends. So one of them, her name is Nina. And you guys have probably heard a lot about Nina in the past or through newsletters or me sharing. But when we got to campus, there was one believer that we knew of. And her name was Nina. And she's probably still one of my best friends and hopefully will be one of my best friends the rest of my life. Um, Nina got involved the year before I got there through a guy at his, his church, her church. And she just finished her senior year at Rudan. And she got a degree in sociology and translation, which is awesome because I don't speak Russian very well. And she speaks really good English. Um, and Nina's one of the most passionate people about Jesus I've ever met. Um, and I got the opportunity to disciple Nina all year, which I think a lot of times I felt like I was the one getting discipled. <laughs> um, yeah, we'd meet every week, once a week, and we would pray together and we would sit in these like really cool cafes that she would find and we would she would pour her heart out to me every day about two things she talked about every single day was I have these friends and they don't know Jesus I gotta tell them help me tell them the other one was like I love the nations I want to go how do I go which is funny because that's what I prayed for for years or for the two years that I was waiting was that Russia would go to the world and it's cool because Nina is going. In January, she's going to get on a plane, and she's going to be with a handful of other international students, and they're going to go to 11 countries in 11 months, all over Eastern Europe and Central Asia, and they're going to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> um, she's in the process of raising support, which in Russia is a hard thing to do because your options of supporters is pretty limited. And so if you guys could be praying for her, that support would come in. That would be awesome. Another thing we talked about was her friends knowing Christ. Um, I can't see anymore. <laughs> um, one of her best friends, her name was Masha, and we became what was known as the Soul Sisters because we were like the only ones out doing stupid things around Moscow. <laughs> um, but Nina introduced me to Masha, um, and we became, we hung out pretty much every day together. We rode, we all bought scooters, and we rode scooters all over Moscow, like idiots, like, like four-year-olds. It was so fun. Um, but Masha grew up in the Russian Orthodox culture, which is pretty much all of Moscow, is either atheist or um, Orthodox. And 
their culture centers mainly about around like this reverence for God, and it's really cool, but it's also like really quiet and somber and serious. And it also kind of looks to me like when I watched my Orthodox friends that they just lived in this scale of good and bad. Like I just hope that my good outweighs my bad, and then I'll go to heaven. Um, but there's also like really cool Orthodox, but neat. Masha just grew up in this culture. Like she knew nothing about it really, other than I have to be really good. Um, and she hung out with us like every day. And so at, the, at New Year's, um, she, Nina came to me and said, I want to disciple this girl. I want her to know about Jesus. I want to meet with her. Would you help me? And so her and I met with Masha every day and we'd share the gospel with her like once a week and we would go through these studies that teach us like just the basics of Christianity like how to experience forgiveness and how to walk in the spirit and how to live in community and Masha like I was kind of nervous but Masha ate it up like she could not get enough we bought her a bible and this is Nina's favorite picture this is Masha's first time ever reading the bible in reality, like, it was so cool. Um, and she's, I remember at the very end, at the spring before I left, I sat with Masha in this really cool cafe, and she started sharing with me, she, and she said, my life will never be the same. This year changed my life. Um, she was beginning to see this difference between religion and a, and a relationship with Jesus, and she wanted a relationship. She wanted freedom from, from these rules and like legalism that was weighing down on her. Um, and so throughout the year, I couldn't tell you when, she made a decision to follow Christ. And she said yes, um, which was also probably one of my highlights of the year, was watching Masha surrender her life to Christ slowly. And then in the summer, she followed her best friend Nina, and they went to... A crew summer project with in Russia, so it's it's like one of the first summer projects that um, Russia had ever done. There was twenty students, and they all came to Moscow for four weeks or something, and they shared their faith all over Moscow. And Masha didn't even know what that meant. She thought that it was like living in fellowship with each other and talking about each other, to each other about Jesus. And then she found out she had to tell others, and she's like, "Uh oh." Um, but she did it, and it was awesome. Um, and so I just think this is such a cool trend. Like, Nina prayed for Masha, shared her faith with Masha. Masha is now praying and sharing her faith with others. And I, I just got a call. I got, talked to my friend, Jezre, a couple of days ago, and she shared that Masha called last week and said, asked Jezre if Jezre would come to her campus and, and share her faith with her friends and her classmates. So what a, like, spiritual multiplication, like, it's continuing to go. And now all these students who went on this project, who live in Moscow, they meet every Sunday, and they pray together, and they strategize how they're going to reach the rest of their their city, which is so cool. And Masha and Nina are, like, two of the leaders in that group now, which is awesome. I like to call that heavy equipment. Um... And then this is my, uh, one more picture. This is my friend Stoss. And we met Stoss in the spring when we had a spring break trip from Eastern Washington University come and visit us. And they met this guy in, in a food court. Um, 
And Stas is a law student, although like I don't think I ever saw him do homework or go to class or anything. I, he was with us all day, so I don't know when he did his homework. But um, some of my friends asked him about his spiritual life one day in the food court, and they asked him like what he believed and why he believed it and what he thought about God. And Stas didn't have any answers, but that night he went home to his little brothers, and he goes, "I really want to know what you believe. Like I think this is important. I think we have to talk about this." And so it was so cute to watch him like f- follow after what he had seen modeled to him. Um, and he hung out with us like every chance he got. He's an atheist from a very atheist family, but he came to every single prayer meeting, every single Bible study, every single time we hung out with students. He was there on our sides. He was helping us cook before, and he was praying with us after. Although he had no idea who he was praying to. <laughs> um, but he like couldn't get enough. He wanted to hear about Jesus over and over and over again, and he kept learning more. And he would apply it and apply it. And but he had made come to this point where he had diligently made a decision. He wasn't ready to follow Christ yet. He wasn't ready to surrender his life because he had a very clear picture of what that meant. Um, and he just struggled with what he was giving up and what he was gaining. To him, it looked like I'm giving up a reputation and I'm gaining like ridicule and being disowned by family members and friends because in their culture like what we the church we go to protestant churches are considered a cult and they're very much to be stit at, at an arm's length and so like that's a scary thing to give your life up to um but a couple weeks ago stas texted my friend taylor and he this is kind of a long text but it is pretty awesome he wrote i started talking god, mentally with god this is quite a new thing in my life what's new in your life after an answer stas replied again i guess school in canada denied my application and i think this is kind of sad but maybe next year i'm still talking to god about my life and his plans for me and right now i think that wherever god would lead me he's probably right I'm trying to talk with him every day like I do with my dad, sort of like you're doing. I like it's like I'm talking with you, but it brings me something more than just joy and pre- and pleasure. Like he doesn't even know, he doesn't even have a relationship with Jesus and he still and he already is beginning to trust him and he knows what it means to pray. Like that is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's worth a clap. <laughs> um and then there's one more group of people I want to share with you, and this is another piece of heavy equipment that I think is multiplying pretty quickly. But last year, at the end of the year, when we were like, we are seeing nothing happen, this kind of sucks. Um, we went to campus to this like cool African expo where all the different countries had these booths and they were selling stuff. And me and my friend Kayleen like were getting bombarded by these two guys who were trying to sell us like a crappy pair of shoes. Um, but their names were Derek and Molly, and I don't even know how it happened, but within like a couple minutes, we had already found out that we were both believers, all four of us were believers, and that we were part of these two ministries, and we were like exchanging church information, and um, like I found out that Derek and Molly are leaders of this movement on campus called Students for Christ. And Students for Christ is based on this vision that Russia will be reached with the gospel through college students. Which is funny because that's the same vision that Crew has, um, and so there is about like forty college students involved at Rudan at my university, and f- about four or five Bible studies. 
that are in the dorms, but the reason we never found them was because it's kind of underground, because it's illegal to practice their faith in the dorms. And so it's like this kind of secret group on campus that we randomly, we didn't randomly find, the Lord brought us together. And we found out that they had been praying. Derek and Molly are the presidents of this evangelism team that their group has. And these two students had been praying that someone would come and teach them how to share their faith because they don't really know how. They know what they want to share, but they don't know how to, to do it in a way people will respond. And then we, they bring us to the church, and their church is like, we were gonna, we were gonna fly someone in from America to, to teach us how to share their faith. We want to know too. Will you teach us? And so we got to do these two evangelism seminars where we taught them how to explore with people and ask good questions and lead them to a point where they've heard the gospel and they can make a decision. And it was like things that they'd never heard before. Like they just didn't have the resources to, to hear it. And it was so fun. So we had 15 people come to these two events and learn how to share their faith. Um, and I found out that this year, so I feel like a lot of the things we did last year, like they're now seeing the results of our labors. And this year they are meeting with, they have these group meetings each week, like weekly meetings for Students for Christ. And our team is getting to share with them why we share our faith. They're getting to cast vision to the students, get them excited about sharing their faith. And then they are teaching the leaders of this ministry how to share their faith, but also how to train others in how to share their faith so that it can continue multiplying and multiplying and multiplying, which is so cool. That is what I went there to see. And I feel like, not that I was there, it happened when I was there, but it's happening. Like, Russia's getting reached. To Moscow is, God is on the move. I think that is so cool. It is. <laughs> and the last thing I want to share with you is just what God has been doing in my life while I was in Moscow. Um, before I left, a woman, the same woman who told me to go to Russia, <laughs> told me that Stint is going to strip me of everything in the whole world but Jesus. And there I'll realize that Jesus is enough, just him. And I was like, that is the corniest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> but then in November, I realized that it's actually pretty stinking true. <laughs> like, God, the Lord stripped me of everything from my ability to communicate, to my ability to travel, to my health, to my confidence and my abilities to follow Christ or to share my faith or even talk, really. <laughs> um, we went from being able to talk to everyone to not even being able to find out which kind of meat we're eating, ordering at the store or have able to ask anyone there because <laughs> we don't know how to speak their language. Um, and then we went from having the ability to drive anywhere in 20 minutes in my own car to be having to take, like, walking, a scooter, a metro, a van, a bus, and a train, and more walking to get anywhere in a minimum of 20 minutes, <laughs> or an hour, I mean. And it left... This is what I look like every day, like scooters in both hands, like all my groceries in my backpack, two phones in my hand, trying to communicate with people, and kind of a disaster. But this is actually a day me and Masha got to go ride scooters around town. Um, but then it started going deeper, like my health kind of took this weird turn, and it wasn't like dangerous, but it just made living in a big city hard. And I, I found myself sharing a queen-size bed with a different girl, and finding myself way too comfortable with what... I was like, marriage is going to suck. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I, my confidence and my abilities to follow Christ or to, to see fruit or to be a minister of the gospel was so low. I was, I was having a hard time feeling worth anything. Um, and then one day I was spending my time with the Lord and God asked me to start writing down where my hope was. What are things you put your hope in? And I found out my hope was in like, I, I know how to be a good Christian. I know how to live the Christian life. And I know how to be a missionary and how to share my faith. So that makes me a better Christian. And I had hoped that I would get married one day. Like, that's a place where my hope is. And after that, I started thinking about, like, what is the, like, where does the Bible say my hope is? What does the Bible say is worth putting my hope in or that I am promised? And I found out that it is in none of those things. <laughs> Like, I will never be a good enough Christian to get into heaven on my own, ever. And I, I have not promised to see the fruit of my labor. He tells me to labor, but he doesn't tell me, like, don't worry. In two days, you'll see the fruit of it. Don't worry. And therefore, in the Bible, I promise, like, marriage. And um, so I was like, okay, then what do I put my hope in? <laughs> and it, it came pretty clear, pretty quickly. Like, my hope is to think that Jesus, that God loved me a lot, that he said, it's worth everything, like, I want to know you, so I'm going to send my son, he's going to die on the cross, and if all that stuff is real, if that is, if the Bible's true, then that is worth putting your hope in, and I thought it was another day in my life, like, I didn't really think twice about it again after that, but as my, the weeks passed, and I started gaining hope, and I hope, I realized my, where my hope was, like, my attitude is different. And I think even now it's radically changed where my hope is. And not that it's always in that, but that's where I want it to be and where the Lord wants it to be. Um, and that God of the universe is like the God of the planet. And he's the same God in Russia as he is in Iran, as he is in Jamaica. Like he's the same God. And he isn't bound by like cultural norms or politics. I think I went there thinking like America and Russia are hostile and God is in America so he's maybe not there but it's the total opposite like the Lord is at work in Russia and he reaches them totally different than he reaches us in America because he's not bound by culture or politics and that is so exciting like that makes me really excited and more confident in my God um he taught he taught me a lot of who I am, and he taught me how to live in community and to deal with my conflict and to use the strengths that he gave me um, to follow Christ well. Um, and I just got to have a lot of fun, too. But I wanted to share with you one quick verse. Um, and this is the verse that as I was processing where I wanted to go and why I wanted to go there, the Lord brought up this verse, and he continued to bring it up over and over again. Um, but I think... It's awesome because it shows me why I want to go, like why being overseas gave me such purpose and meaning. Um, and so it's in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And you can flip to it. It's on the screen, I think. But I'm going to read it real quick. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two covered their faces, two covered their feet, and two 
they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the thresholds shook, and the temple filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with live coals in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and for who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And I love this verse, but it just makes me think, like, really? <laughs> you want me? <laughs> that kind of God wants to use someone like me? Like, I don't feel worth. You, there's got to be somebody better. <laughs> um, but I don't think Isaiah answered, here I am with a big puffy chest and proud. I think he did it feeling pretty insignificant and small because the picture that Jesus, that he just depicted was pretty big. Like, just the people who were worshiping him, there were so many of them that the doorposts and the thresholds were shaking and smoke filled the room. Like, that is a big God. Um, and Isaiah, like, he didn't go far. Like, he went to his own people. Um, and he just came in with a willing heart and an understanding of who he was. He was just a man. He was small and he was sinful. But he also understood who God was. He is a God, like described in this passage, and that is big. And I think that the Lord asks the same thing of us. He asks us to go. He asks us to say, here I am. Send me wherever you want. And that might be overseas. That might just be in your own home, to your own family. That might be to your neighbors or your classmates. But just saying, Lord, here I am. And I firmly believe that all of us are called to the Great Commission, that when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he wasn't just talking to the overly spiritual ones. He was talking to every follower of Christ. Um, and so I just want to ask the question, like, where do you think God is calling you? Or how is he asking you to participate? Because you're called to participate. It's a command we are all given. Um, I have this song that I think Cliff is going to play. And it's called Take Me In. And it's based on this song, that I, this passage that I just read. But I would just ask that you um, listen to the words and just spend some time asking the Lord where he'd call you. Um, and that might just be to an invitation to accept his relationship that he wants with you. It might just be saying yes to him. Or it might be praying for a friend or sharing your faith with a friend or giving to, a, to the ministry going forward in a different country. Like, I don't know. But I, I bet you he'll call you to something. So I just ask that you would listen and let your heart respond to him. Thank you.